is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. It may be found on page 1185 in the Bible underneath the seat in front of you. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He is He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called, today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. And as has just been said, Today, if, you're, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. This is the word of the Lord. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Heart, let every heart prepare him room. What does that mean? We're going to talk today about the heart. And we're not talking about the organ inside your chest that's beating right now, pumping blood through your veins. No, this is the the heart that the Bible talks about. Uh, when I think of the heart, I think immediately of what we read in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, if that doesn't ring a bell, let me tell you what happened in that chapter of the Bible. What happens in 1 Samuel 16 is that the prophet Samuel goes to the home of a man by the name of Jesse to anoint the next king of Israel. And he calls for the sons of Jesse to come into the house And one after another, they file in. The first one, the oldest one, is a man by the name of Eliab. I suspect that Eliab was a tall, handsome, strapping kind of man. And when Samuel first looked at Eliab, he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is in this room. And so he just about went over to anoint Eliab as the next king of Israel when God stopped him in his tracks. And God said to Samuel, don't consider the appearance of this man. Don't consider his height, for I have rejected him, he said. The Lord looks at the heart. Man looks at the outward appearance, but
But God said to Samuel, the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. God looks at the heart. Well, seven sons later, Samuel finally anointed young David, whose reign would one day be fulfilled by the greater David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Heart. What is it? The heart is the core of your thoughts, your feelings, and your choices. Proverbs 4.23 tells us what the heart is. It says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You hear that word? Wellspring. It all starts in the heart, in other words. That's a good way for you to remember it. It all starts in the heart. Everything in your life begins in the heart, spiritually speaking, and then it issues forth from there. But so often, aren't we a lot like Samuel We look at the outward appearance of people and of things to judge their value instead of looking at the heart. It's kind of like if you went to go shopping for a new car. Can you imagine looking at a new car and identifying the car that you want? It's the car of your dreams. It's sleek. It's beautiful. It looks fast. The colors are just exactly what you want. And you go over to the salesman and you say, I want that car. I'm going to buy that car. And then the salesman says, well, there's one big problem with that car. There's no motor in it. And you would say, well, that doesn't matter to me. I just look at the outward appearance. That's ridiculous, isn't it? But that's so often the way we judge things and people. We often judge a a person's value by how successful he or she is or how smart or how good looking. Or we judge by the color of somebody's skin or their place of origin. The heart? What's that? Now, we, we don't say that, but that's often the way we act. The heart? Who cares about the heart? But according to the Bible, the heart is the most important thing. It's what's in the heart that shapes everything else. You know, the Bible has a ton of of, uh, truth to tell us about the heart. I just drew out a list of some. I'm not going to read these, but scan down that list. That's just a, a short sampling of some of the verses in the Bible that speak about the value of the heart. And as you look at that list of things that the Bible teaches, you see how important the heart is, how it's the wellspring of life, how it determines and gives shape to the rest of your life. Well, the question is, what does all this talk about the heart have to do with Hebrews chapter 3? Well, as I studied this chapter this past week, and maybe you heard it when Ashley was reading it, I noticed quite a few references in Hebrews 3 to the heart. Look at them with me. Verse 8 says, do not harden your heart. Verse 10, their hearts are always going astray. Verse 12, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. And verse 15 again says, do not harden your hearts. Now, that's pretty significant. Four times in one chapter, reference is made to the human heart. What's the author of Hebrews saying? He's saying, don't allow the core of your being, the center of, as I said earlier, your thoughts, your feelings, and your choices. Don't allow the core of your being to get hard and cold toward God. Instead, as it says in verse 14, Hold firmly till the end the confidence that you had at first. 
Now, let me remind you of the context of the book of Hebrews. It's very important in this connection. The letter of Hebrews was written to a group of Jewish Christians, we think living primarily in Rome, who were suffering persecution. They were tempted to go back to their religion of the past, a lifeless religion, a religion of works instead of one of faith in Jesus Christ, a religion of ceremonies and animal sacrifices and of temple worship instead of a personal relationship with the living God. Back in chapter 1, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that these people to whom Hebrews was written were getting infatuated with angels. They were getting distracted from Jesus. And so in chapter 2, the author of the letter says to them, don't drift away from Jesus Christ. Well, now here in chapter 3, we're told that these people were also preoccupied with a big celebrity out of the Old Testament, namely Moses. Now, Moses is an admirable man, right? Moses is a spiritual hero. But these people were tempted to put all of their focus on Moses and no longer on Jesus. And instead of saying to them in chapter 3, don't drift away from Jesus, the author of the letter says, don't harden your hearts. Do you see, it means the same thing. Don't harden your hearts against God. Don't drift away from Jesus. Those are essentially the same message. So now that you know kind of the lay of the land, let me tell you what I want to share with you this morning. I want to talk with you about the heart and say four things. Usually I got a three-point sermon. This is a four. I'm going to have to talk more quickly. The first thing I want to talk about is the possibility of a hard heart. Next, the signs of a hard heart. Third, the result of a hard heart. And finally, the way or the path to a tender heart. All right, so with that plan, let's begin. I want to talk first about the possibility of a hard heart. Did you know that it is possible for people who are outwardly religious, people who go to church, people who read their Bibles, people who know all there is to know about Jesus, people who do good things for other people, did you know that it's possible for those very people to nevertheless have a hard heart toward God? Now, that may come as news to you, but the Bible teaches it very clearly, and it's right here in Hebrews chapter 3. How do I know that? Because of what our text tells us in verses 7 through 11. Verses 7 through 11 are a quotation out of the Old Testament. They're specifically a quotation from one of the Psalms, Psalm 95. Now, we're not going to turn back to Psalm 95, but I just want you to know the passage there in verses 7 through 11 are from Psalm 95. And let me tell you in my own words what Psalm 95 is all about. Psalm 95 tells us about two different tragic episodes in the life of of the Old Testament people of Israel. One of those times was told back in Exodus 17. It's when the people of Israel were marching up through the wilderness from Egypt up to the promised land, otherwise known as Canaan. They arrived at a place known as Rephidim. Now, Rephidim is not a place you know or heard of very often, I suspect. But at Rephidim, the people of Israel were incredibly tired and incredibly thirsty. And so they began to grumble and complain. Now, keep in mind, this was just days after God had begun raining manna down to them out of heaven. 
Nevertheless, they get here at Rephidim and they began to complain. They said to Moses, their leader, why did you lead us up here out of Egypt only to die of thirst in this wilderness? And so God spoke to Moses. He had mercy on the people. God said to Moses to strike a rock with his staff and out would come water. And that's exactly what happened. Moses walked over to the rock, took his staff, hit it, and out flowed water. Beautiful, clean, crystal clear water for the people of Israel to drink. But after that episode, Moses called that place, prior known as Rephidim, he called it by two names, Masa and Meribah. You know what those two words mean in Hebrew? Masa means testing and Meribah means quarreling. Rephidim became a place where the people of Israel had tested and grumbled and quarreled with God. That's the first episode that Psalm 95 is talking about. The second episode is what happened in Numbers chapters 13 and 14. And again, you can read that some other time. Numbers, the book of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14. It's when the people of Israel, they were still marching out from Egypt into the promised land, came to another place a place called Kadesh in the desert of Paran. God told Moses to send some of the people of Israel, one person from every one of the 12 tribes, to be spies and to go up into the promised land and to do some reconnaissance. These spies were to go up into Canaan and check it out and bring back a report so that the people of Israel would be better prepared for conquest. Well, that's what they did. Moses sent one spy from each of the 12 tribes up into Israel. They went, I mean, up up into Canaan. They went through Canaan. They searched out the land. They did a survey. They brought back some of the fruit of the land, and they gave a report back to the people of Israel. They said, this land is a land flowing with milk and honey. But, they said, we can't go up there. We can't take that land. There are giants living up there. They were especially afraid, you see, of these people known as the Nephilim. They, they were the descendants of Anak, uh, apparently a, a, a big guy who gave birth to a race of pretty much giants. And so they told, they told their brothers and sisters there in, uh, in, in Kadesh, we can't go up there. These people are way too strong, way too powerful for us. Two of the spies, namely Caleb and Joshua, Stopped everything. They said, whoa, wait a second. God is going to be with us. God will help us. Let's go. Let's take the land. We can succeed, they said. But the whole community grumbled and wept before Moses. The rest of the spies started, you know, stirring up strife and and, uh, debate. And so pretty soon all of the people of Israel said, we want to go back to Egypt. They said once again, Moses, why did you bring us up out of Egypt only to die in this wilderness Well, God was ticked and God threatened right then and there to wipe out the nation of Israel. Moses got down on his knees. He said, God, don't do that. What will the rest of the nation say if you do that? Moses interceded for the people and God forgave them. But God said he put a P.S. on his forgiveness. God said this, not one of the people who saw my glory and the miraculous signs that I performed in Egypt and in this desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me, not one of them will ever see the promised land. Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years. And every single adult, including Moses, 
except for Joshua and Caleb, died before ever reaching the borders of Canaan. Two stories, both alluded to in Psalm 95, both alluded to in verses 7 through 11 of Hebrews 3, those two stories become the basis for the author's warning to these first century Jewish Christians and to you and to me. He's saying, don't repeat the sins of the past. Don't emulate your forefathers. Don't do what they did. Don't harden your hearts. Folks, this ought to make us shudder. It ought to make us shudder because there were people in this community of faith known as Israel who didn't make it to the promised land. Verse 16 of this text says, Who were they who heard and rebelled? Weren't they those whom Moses led up out of Egypt? Do you hear what the author's saying there? He's saying that these were the people, the people of Israel, were the very ones who had heard the voice of God on Mount Sinai. These were the ones who had been fed with manna out of heaven. They had witnessed, for crying out loud, they had witnessed the parting of the Red Sea. My goodness, but when trouble came, what did they do? They turned away from the Lord. Their behavior and their attitude during a time of testing revealed the condition of their hearts. You remember I said earlier, the heart is where it all starts. And so when they turned away from the Lord, it was evidence that there was something wrong in here, in the core of their being. They were hard and cold toward God. Verse 17 says that God was angry with them for 40 years and their bodies fell in the desert. Friends, is it possible that there are people sitting in churches today all over the world who will not be in heaven one day? Yes, it is possible. In fact, it is certain. Is it possible that there are people in our church who are on our membership roll who attend here on Sundays, who will in fact not be in heaven because they are not born again. Yes, it is possible. I should know. I sat in a church for 20 years and was not regenerate. It's possible to have a hard heart toward God in spite of the fact that outwardly you're respectable, you've signed the membership directory, And you go to church and you do religious things. It's possible to have a hard heart. Second thing I want to talk about is the signs of a hard heart. How do you know? How would you know that you indeed have one of these hard hearts that's talked about in this chapter? Well, I could mention quite a few, but let me just mention three. I'll mention three signs of a hard heart that are alluded to in this text. The first one is a bitter spirit. When things don't go your way. A bitter, complaining spirit when things don't go your way. Look with me at verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of what? Testing. See, it's when you go through a time of testing that what's in here begins to show itself for what it really is. Let's go back again and think about the Israelites. What did the Israelites do when they got thirsty? They grumbled. 
They complained against God. They raised their fists up at God and they said, you can't do this to me. I don't deserve this. Look at all I've done for you, God. See, they treated God sort of like an ATM machine. What do you do at an ATM? You stick in your card, you punch a few buttons, and blessings are supposed to come out. Or maybe you find out you're overdrawn. (laughs) But don't we sometimes treat God that way? We stick in our little prayer, we punch a few buttons, and we expect blessings to come out. God, that's why you exist, after all. I'm the center of your universe. You came to serve me, not to be served. So, a bitter spirit when things don't go your way. Second sign. Second sign of a a hard heart is what I'll call blame shifting. Shifting the blame. Back in Numbers 14 that I was talking about a little while ago. You remember I said that the Israelites heard about all of the people who lived in Canaan? They're listed there. They're the the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the the stalactites, the stalagmites, all of the other ites. They heard about all those ites and they said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And, And think about those Nephilim, those giants. They said, we're like grasshoppers compared to them. It would be better for us to go back to Egypt, they said. And the people started to choose another leader besides Moses who could take them south again, back to where they came from. They blamed their problems on the ites. But the problem wasn't the ites. The problem wasn't the Nephilim. It was the people's own attitude toward God. They simply didn't want to do what God told them to do. Namely, go up into the land and take it over. They found a convenient group of people to pin the blame on for their own shortcomings. Have you ever done that? I certainly have. Whom do you sometimes blame for your problems? Husbands, do you, like Adam, sometimes say to God, the woman you put here with me, Lord, if it weren't for her, I'd have a much better life. Wives, Do you sometimes, like Eve, say, the devil made me do it. It's his fault. That's why I did what I did. Maybe it's the fault of your family of origin. You know, if you had 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 different parents who had done a better job, you wouldn't be making the choices that you're making today. Or maybe it's the fault of your boss or your employer or your teacher or your church. Let's change some of those things. Those people need to get their act together. And then I'll be better. I know I will. It's called blame shifting. It's the failure to pull the beam out of your own eye before you concentrate on the specks of sawdust in other people's eyes. Third sign of unbelief. I mean, third sign of a hard heart is unbelief. Unbelief. Look at verse 19. It says there that we see that they were not able to enter Because of their unbelief. What is unbelief? Unbelief is the refusal to trust God's promises. God had promised the people of Israel over and over and over again that he would protect them from trouble, that he would bring them up safely to the promised land. He had promised to provide for them. But what did the Israelites do? They rejected God's word. They didn't want to believe it. 
They didn't put their trust in it. According to verse 12, they had a sinful, unbelieving heart that turned away from the living God. Now, let me clarify something because sometimes I know that we struggle with belief, right? We do. We, we are like the man to whom Jesus was speaking one time. Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. You know, that's not really the kind of unbelief I'm talking about. That's really doubt. Doubt is okay. Doubt is an honest struggle with truth. Unbelief is something different. I love the way Henry Drummond put it one time. He said, doubt is can't believe. Unbelief is won't believe. Do you get the difference? Unbelief is that stubborn refusal. God, I know what you said. I know it's in the Bible. I know other people believe it, but I'm choosing. I'm digging my heels in. I will not go there, Lord. I won't go there. I don't believe you. So doubt is okay. We struggle to believe the promises, but unbelief is something you and I need to run away from and repent of. It's the deliberate decision to live as though God is irrelevant and what he has said doesn't make any difference. So again, I want to ask you the question, how do you tend to react when life throws you a curveball? Do you forget everything God has done for you in the past and crumble in despondency? Or on the other hand, do you freak out And begin to panic and run and get into a frenzy and make all kinds of plans. Either way, you know what it is? Either way, it's unbelief. Whether you choose the route of utter despondency and depression or the route of panic, it's really a failure to put your trust in God. You're acting as though there's no God in heaven. He has not spoken and he can't help you and he won't help you. That's unbelief. And it's a sign of a hard heart. What's the result of a hard heart? This passage makes it very clear. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says that the result of a hard heart is God's judgment. Verse 11, I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Now, next week we're going to talk a little bit more about what it means to not enter the rest of God. That's the subject of chapter 4. But... I just want you to think about this for today. A whole generation missed out on the promised land. Why? Because their hearts were always going astray. A whole generation missed out on Canaan, the promised land, because of their coldness and hardness toward God. God judges hard hearts. Now, let me tackle a tough question. And it is an honest question. And you should, probably you're, you're asking this question. Is Hebrews 3 teaching that a true Christian can lose his or her salvation? After all, it sounds like this is very conditional. You're going to make it to heaven if you hold on to the end. If you don't have a hard heart. It seems to put all of the effort back on us, right? So if you're a Christian and you are aware that you have a hard heart, does that mean now you're out of salvation? You're out of God's favor and you need to figure out how to work yourself back in? No, that is a misunderstanding of this truth. God promises us that if we're truly Jesus's, we will make it home. Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. That's John 6, 37. 
If you've come to Jesus Christ, He will never drive you away. No matter how often you fail, no matter how much you blow it, no matter how many times you know you have disobeyed God, if you truly have repented and you're in Jesus' hands, He will forgive you. He loves you. And it's knowing that that will help you to be more obedient. But Jesus also said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So it behooves you to ask yourself if you've truly repented of your sins and put your trust and faith in Jesus. Or are you merely connected to Jesus on the outside? Are you merely wearing a Christian name tag and going through the motions? Or has your heart been truly changed and made new by the Spirit of God? The Scriptures teach us to examine ourselves and make sure that we're in the faith. The fact that thousands of Israelites fell in the wilderness is a warning to thousands of people who are alive today and who are part of the covenant community who will fall eternally if they reject God and His Word. So perhaps I'm speaking this morning to someone who is taking that deep inward look. Right now, you are examining yourself. You're asking yourself, wow, do I have a hard heart? Let me tell you, if you really are asking yourself that question and you really want to know, that's a good sign that you don't have a hard heart. That's a good sign that you belong to Jesus. If you're willing to take that deep inward look and ask yourself those hard questions and go where the answers take you, that's a good sign you're in the faith. You're looking honestly at your heart. You see the truth about yourself that you have within you the seeds of a bitter spirit that you have the capability of shifting the blame onto somebody else, that you have the potential of being guilty of unbelief. You want to give yourself totally to Jesus. You want to follow His Word. You want to take His hand and follow Him wherever He goes. If that describes you, I'm not describing a perfect person by any stretch. I'm, I'm describing normal Christians who really want to honor and glorify God. If that's you, then let's end today with the path to a tender heart. How can you be sure that you are on the path to developing more and more and more of a softness, a tenderness toward God? Two things I'll leave you with. One is live with community, and two is believe the good news. That's the path to a tender heart. First, living with community, living in community. Notice verse 13, it says, Encourage one another daily as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Friends, I've said this before, you've got to believe it. You cannot do the Christian life alone. You've got to have some friends. A few weeks ago, I put it this way, and I'll say it again. You need at least three people. You need somebody in front of you to lead the way, somebody behind you to watch your back, and somebody next to you to share your burdens. Whether you're finding that in a life group or a D group or a Bible study or an accountability group of men or women or or just a circle of Christian friends, you need community. If that's not a priority to you today, let's talk. UPC can help you to find community. It's essential to your Christian health. It's essential to developing a tender heart. Because verse 13 talks about how community will help you to stay on the path to tenderness by encouraging you and exhorting you and reminding you of God's promises and helping you to be true to the Lord. 
The second way to stay on the path to a tender heart is by believing the good news. Believe the gospel. Look at verse 1. The first verse of this text says, Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Phrase, fix your thoughts on, means consider, ponder carefully, perceive, look closely. Jesus was the one who was faithful all the way home. A hard heart, we said earlier, deserves judgment. But if you trust Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for you, then that judgment has already occurred. It, It happened upon Jesus. He took your judgment upon himself so that you can go free and follow after the Lord. If you've never confessed your sins and allowed Jesus to be your Savior and your leader in life, I implore you today, let him do so. Come to God honestly today. Admit where you are. Tell him who you are. Tell him you failed. Ask him to be your substitute, to take the judgment of God for your hard heart away and lay it on Jesus, his son. He will do that. He delights in doing that. So today, friends, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Find some friends who love Jesus and who will encourage you. Preach the gospel to yourself. Trust in God. Believe in his love. Don't reject his word. Consider Jesus, born in Bethlehem, now reigning in heaven. He won't let go of you. Don't let go of him. Let's pray. Lord, uh, earlier... I said, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Come, let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And I pray that even now we will be in our hearts preparing room for you. That, Lord, we will examine our hearts, that we will see if there is unbelief, if there's blame shifting, if there's a bitter spirit. Father, the truth is there are those things. And so we admit them to you. We give them to you. We admit that those things are true of us at times. But Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died to pay for such sins. And we allow him and we believe in him and we accept what he did for us on the cross. We rejoice in the way that he has taken our blame away from us and upon himself. Lord, cleanse us, we pray. Give us soft hearts toward you that we may enter your rest every single day of our life, as well as in eternity. And we pray this in Jesus' name.